0: Well, we are in Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. Remain standing for the word of, reading of the Word. We're in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, and we're down to verse 27. Let me read these two or three verses for our text this morning. You have heard that it was said to those of old... And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go to hell. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Now, here's the pattern. God gives us the standard. He may even show us the ideal. And then we fail. We break the commandment. We fall short of the glory of God. The Bible says, therefore then, We look to the law and we see that unmistakably, without a doubt, we stand guilty. The penalty of of sin is death and it follows every commandment. So now we stand condemned. The coming of Christ into the world did not condemn the world, the world was already condemned. So we're under a condemnation, we're under a sentence. There's a penalty to be paid and that penalty is death. God sends his son. He keeps the law perfectly. Fulfills it in every way. Offends not at all. And then he dies a death bearing our sins in his body on a tree, on a cross. So that where we failed, he... Succeeded. Where we disobeyed, he obeyed. That righteousness is reckoned, accounted to us in God's reckoning. God in his mercy and his love has provided salvation's plan. And salvation's plan is a person and it's Jesus Christ. So when we by faith come to him and trust in him, and believe that his death is our death. And he paid the penalty in our place for our sins. He took that condemnation. He bore that full wrath of God for us. When we simply believe it, the Bible says that God reckons us to be righteous. He accounts us, imputes us, to be justified in his sight. And in his sight is all that matters. For God is the judge of all the earth. So now he has reckoned our sin to be in Christ and to be totally pardoned and totally atoned. Now the righteousness of Christ then is imputed to us. That's where we stand. That's the gospel. We are saved by the works of another. That other is Christ. We're saved by an alien or a foreign righteousness. It's alien to us. That righteousness is Christ's righteousness, and it is imputed and accounted to us. That's where a lot of people would like for the story to end, because actually there is an ending to it there. That's the verdict that will be given at the last judgment. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But an identifier in that same verse from Romans says there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. So we have a walk to consider. And that walk is that law, that standard, that commandment that God gave from the beginning which we broke, which Christ obeyed, which He died the penalty of our violation of the commandment, which God has accounts to us as righteousness. That commandment then becomes to us a whole new world. It's the world of pleasing God, the world of obedience, the world of walking in the light, the world of of righteousness, the world of holiness, the world of dedication. And so we look again to that law, and there we see how we are to behave. And Jesus, as he said earlier, came to fulfill the law in the sense that he not only fulfilled it in all of its particulars, but he also filled it full of new meaning and understanding. Now, we have seen this principle work itself out in the last couple of weeks when we've looked at the commandment, thou shalt not murder. Sixth commandment today we have before us the seventh commandment. And I submit to you the principles are precisely the same. God shows us the ideal. Here's the ideal. It's found in Genesis. We saw it last week. Let me read just a couple of the highlight verses going all the way back to chapter 1 of Genesis 1, the very beginning of the Bible. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he was While he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord had taken from the man, he formed into a woman. Man was formed of the dust of the ground. Woman was formed from man himself. And he brought the woman to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, so she'll be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. There's the original ideal. There's what God has in mind for marriage. We noted last week that when the scripture says, Thou shall not commit adultery, the seventh commandment, found in both Exodus 20 and also in Deuteronomy 5, the seventh of the Ten Commandments. The word adultery might seem a little strange to us, but it's really an English word based on two Latin words. Very simple. Ad, A-D, or odd. Alt, U-L-T adultery. That's the word. Ad means to or toward. Alt means the other, as in the ulterior, the other. And so committing adultery is to go to or toward the other. Now what might the others be? We listed a few last week. Any going to a partner that is not your married partner Any extramarital relations, any premarital relations, any homosexual relations, any multiple partner relations is going to the other. You see, God's ideal is one man, one woman, one flesh for one lifetime. That's it. It's set before us. Why the commandment? Well, because that's not how humanity has lived it out. And the commandment, Thou shalt not commit adultery, carries primarily, first and foremost, that you should not participate in any of these physical acts that I just enumerated. To participate in any of these, to go to the other, any other in any sense, is to commit adultery. And that's about where the scribes and Pharisees and the civil law of Judea in the days of Jesus left it. It had to do with the physical outward act. But you've listened to the teaching of the Lord long enough to know the Lord is concerned about our outward physical acts. but. What is he most concerned about? The heart. He says, out of the heart are the issues of life. He says, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. I like the way John Calvin says it in his uh, lectures on this particular passage here in the Sermon on the Mount. The law of God has authority over our life. Did you catch that? The law of God... Has authority over our life. Its demands go beyond the outward manners. It requires a pure and holy affection of the heart. So, what now the Lord is dealing with is the breaking of the commandment, not just in an outward physical sense of adultery, but what is the heart. Condition, the mindset of the soul that leads us, I would say all, into adultery. Well, it is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. It's that intentional looking for the purpose of initiating, stimulating, and delighting in impurity. This is not the casual glance. This is the looking at to lust after. There is a difference. But don't be clouded and fogged. Our hearts are such that we almost always go to the sin. The way Peter described it when he was describing some very sinful people in the uh, church there is this way right here. He says, they they have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. That's a pretty good description of myself and a lot of people I know. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. The eye that is... Open and insatiable for sin is that eye to the heart. That's how sin starts. Chapter 3 of Genesis. Eve looked upon the fruit her eye. She saw that it was good for food. She desired it. And she ate of it. That's the whole process of sin right there. It's the lust of the eye. The delight to the eyes is what the scripture says that the the fruit was to Eve. The lust of the eye. It's that long, lustful look. The long, licentious look. And if we think it is so common and harmless, We need to see where Paul puts it in his great scheme of revealing the gospel. As he starts out in chapter 1 in Romans, he talks about the degradation of sin. He says, the righteousness of God has been revealed from heaven in the gospel. But then he doesn't talk much more about the gospel for a while because he turns in and says, the wrath of God has been revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and ungodliness. And it's a wonderful passage, I know most of you studied it pretty carefully, of, the, of, of the, um, the psychology and the sociology and the cosmology of sin and how it comes into the heart and into the race. But the sad thing, before he gets very far along, he says, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. And then he describes these passions And what these passions are, essentially, is homosexual adultery. It's just infected us. It has infected the whole race. It's infected the heart of every person. And there's not much we can do about it, is there? Except to cling to the gospel. All I have to preach to you this morning is the gospel. How the Lord will take your lustful heart and will begin to transform it. First, by the renewing of the Holy Spirit. It's called the washing of regeneration. He will clean you up with a purgatory, a purging agent And that is the precious blood of Christ that cleanses us from all sin. And then when we've reached that point to where sin has been taken care of judicially, now we begin to see how sin takes care of us, I mean how we take care of sin experientially. And that is we have to begin to fight against it. And so the language that's used here in this passage is talking about the right eye. It says, if the right eye causes you to sin. And really, this is an exaggerated form of speech, a hyperbole. Almost all interpreters say that. Uh, But don't be so quick to think the Lord didn't have something in mind. I found an interesting little passage over in the book of Zechariah. This is the Lord talking to a particular class of sinners. It happens to be the sinful shepherds of Israel. But listen to what he says to, these, to this class of sinners over in the Old Testament. Woe, that's a curse. It literally means uh, uh, a curse unto death. Woe to my worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. May the sword strike his arm and his right eye. Let his arm be wholly withered and his right eye utterly blinded. This may be hyperbole, but it's making a point. And the point is simply that our sin will take us to hell. It'll take us further than we ever wanted to go. It will leave us there longer than we ever wanted to stay. It'll take us far from God. So, the resolve of the believer is you've got to start a battle, a war against sin. Sin's got to be mortified, it's got to be killed. And Jesus uses this, this language to let us know of the importance of it. And it's, pretty, it's pretty interesting the way he phrases it when he talks about the hand and the eye, uh, the word that's used here that causes you to sin is the word scandalon. It means scandal. But really what it refers to is the trip, the little trip stick that's in a snare. Here's a snare, a trap that's set up for an animal. Be it a bird or or some animal you want to trap. And you've got the trap propped open with a little stick. And whatever trips that stick, Snaps the trap. And that's what the scondalon is. It's that little trip switch. a little trigger that brings that sin onto you. That's where the battle is. The battle is working against that little trigger. And he says that it's better to be injured and maimed. And your whole soul be saved than it is to have your whole soul and body saved and intact and end up in hell. And this is the same word he used in the passage we looked at last week. It's the word Jesus used quite often to indicate eternal punishment. And that was the valley, the Hinnon Valley, Valley, the Gehenna, which was the garbage dump where all the dead bodies and the dead animals and all of that were dumped out there and there was a fire going at all times. And Jesus said it's a place where the worm, the maggot, does not die. And the fire is not quenched. Not a pleasant place at all. And that over and over is what Christ promises is the destiny of the unforgiven sinner. The sage, Job, you don't think of Job like this. I generally don't, but he had to fight this battle. Listen to what Job said in Job 31. I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then shall I gaze at a virgin? What would be my portion from the Lord above and my heritage from the Almighty on high? Is not calamity for the unrighteous and disease for the workers of iniquity? Then he asked the question, does not God see my ways and the number of my steps? In this matter of the temptation to sin, to being drawn into sin, to tripping that little trigger that gets you into the sin and then into the desire and then the lust and then eventually even perhaps into the physical act. That's where the battle is. You need to make a covenant with your eyes as to how you will deal with this. Now, Jesus was predominantly talking to men. There were some women that would audit uh, some of these uh, times when Jesus would, would, would speak. Uh, ironically, a lot of times, the women that would be in the crowds that Jesus would speak were, were not exactly the, the best women in town. And they were kind of out there, kind of loose. They weren't at home baking biscuits. They were, they were just kind of out there hanging around, the men folk, And... Jesus had a real ministry with these people. It it was not uncommon to see him often with those people who were admittedly, reputedly fallen men and women in the area of sexual sin. And the heart of God is tuned. He knows. He created us. He knows our frame. But he's also given us the clear Understanding of what we need to know, let me just mention one other scripture. It's time to kind of wrap this up. Well, this always happens when I mismark my pages. <laughs> yeah. James, the pastor in Jerusalem. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Oh, up here. There it is. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. That's how serious it is.